Bill, for the regular reading of the Scripture. Turn to Genesis, Genesis chapter 33. It's on page 49 in your Schofield Bible. Start with verse 12 and read through verse 17. The text verse is the 14th verse of Genesis 33. We'll read the verses responsibly. And he said, Let us take our journey and let us go, and I will go before thee. And he said unto him, My Lord knoweth that the children are tender, and the flocks and herds with young are with me. And if men should overdrive them one day, all the flock will die. Let my Lord, I pray thee, pass over before his servant, and I will lead on softly, according as the cattle that goeth before me, and the children be able to endure, until I come unto my Lord and the seer. And Esau said, Let me now leave with thee some of the folk that are with me, and he said, What needeth it? Let me find grace in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way unto Seir. And Jacob journeyed to Succoth, and built him an house, and made booths for his cattle. Therefore the name of the place is called Succoth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have this book. It's just impossible to think what we would do without the Bible. We're glad we have it. We're glad we're in a place where it's preached. We're glad that thou hast preserved it to this day. And we pray that you'd bless our hearing of thy word and certainly bless our preacher. We're glad to have him back. God bless him today in Jesus' name. Amen. Jacob had been reunited with his brother Esau. It was Esau, as you know, whom Jacob had cheated of his birthright, which means that Jacob got what Esau would have gotten, three things. He got the double portion of the inheritance of his father. He got the priestly rights and the family. didn't have churches like we have them. They met by families, I mean large family groups like grandfather and, and, grand, and, and son and grandson, uncles and aunts, and they all lived in the same neighborhood. And... Uh, so Esau would have been the one who would have gotten a double portion of the inheritance, but Jacob cheated him out of it. He would have gotten a, uh, the priestly rights of the family, but, but uh, Jacob cheated him out of it. He would have gotten uh, the right to be in the lineage of the Messiah. You know, in, the, in all those early chapters of Matthew and Luke where it says so-and-so begat so-and-so, uh, uh, Esau would have been there, but he lost that right because Jacob cheated him out of it. After 20 years of separation, Jacob decides to make it right with Esau. Now, Jacob is the leader of the two. And uh, I'll read you a statement that he made. It's my, my text this morning. Let my Lord, I pray thee, pass before his servant, and I will lead on softly, according as the cattle that goeth before me and the children be able to endure until I come unto my Lord uh, unto here. I want to pick out that little line this morning, and it's also the title of my message. I will lead on softly. I will lead on softly. 
I ask you not to take pencils and pens and write. I ask you to listen carefully. This is not going to be a bombastic sermon. It's not going to be a hallelujah sermon. But I promise you carefully, I'm going to give you the secret to any organizational success, organization success. Any. I'm speaking this morning. I will lead softly. Please listen. Are you a leader? Uh, yes, you are. You lead somebody. You may be a senior in high school and you don't know it, but you're leading some freshmen and sophomores and juniors. You may be a teacher at the college or high school or junior high or one of our schools, but you are, you are a leader as well as a teacher. You may be an administrator at one of our schools. Or, you say, well, I'm not. Okay, are you a mother or a father? All right, then you're a leader. Uh, everybody here leads somebody. And I want to talk to you this morning about the great secret to success, the secret to this church, the secret to a happy marriage, the secret to an institution who has loyal. I mentioned this morning, uh, these men and ladies on our staff, uh, 26 years and 25 years and 36 years and 34 years and and uh, and 16 years and 23 years. Um, uh, I think I can tell you one reason why they stayed today. Father, bless me as I speak. I sure would like to help some relationships to be improved and even salvaged. So plus, may I speak carefully and spiritually. And may the people listen intently. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me warn you that I may go over a few hours today. Uh, I, I, may, I'm, I probably will go past 12 o'clock. But I promise you that you'll be out at your usual time before 1230. You'll be on your way home if you so choose. And uh, so I want you to listen carefully. I will show you today the key to any successful organization. I will show you today what will help you more than anything in your organization. I start off by saying this. The three great leaders of fundamentalism in the last 50 years, in my opinion, have been Dr. John R. Rice, Lester Roloff, and Dr. Lee Robertson. All three start with an R. They're the ones that got me in trouble when I was a young man. I was Southern Baptist, and they, they voted me out because I was associating with Rice, Roloff, and Robertson. wasn't reading and writing and arithmetic were not the three R's that got me in trouble. It was Rice, Robertson, and Roloff got me in trouble. But these were the three great leaders. Now, Dr. John Rice was a laid-back man. First time I ever saw him, I'd heard about him. I, I'd read his articles in The Sword of the Lord. I'd read his books. I was stunned to find that he was not dynamic. Truth is, Dr. Rice rarely ever raised his voice while he preached. Uh, he just was not the type of person you would think could be a leader. Let's roll off. Almost, almost a recluse. Nobody knew him well. I, I knew him better than anybody in the world, I'm sure. But, uh, but nobody knew Lester Roloff very well. Uh, he, he, he didn't live like everybody else. He, uh, he never ate a Big Mac in his life. Uh, whoppers to him were fat people, and uh, uh, he, he never, uh, he, he never. Uh, in, in fact, uh, the truth is, 
and he ate grasshopper legs and elephant's toenails, all that kind of stuff, you know. Everything he got, he'd make juice out of it. And he told me one day, he said, the way you eat, you're going to die young. I said, the way you fly, you're going to die young. And I'm still here. But, but Lester Olaf was not, if you, if you saw him, now the guy weighed about 120 pounds. He's about that tall. And, and, and not an impose, and personality was the same way till he got in the pulpit. If you talk to him personally, you'd, he's the last person in the world you'd think could be a leader. Now this will surprise you. Dr. Lee Robertson is not, 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 uh, an extra, extrovert either. Dr. Robertson personally is a very quiet man, a very tiring man. If you met Dr. Robertson on the airplane, you would not think at all that Dr. Robertson would be a great leader. Now, why and how did these men, don't leave me now, why and how did these men become great leaders? Number one, Dr. Rice. Dr. Rice knew something that folk, other folks wanted to learn. And they followed him to find out what he knew. I never knew a man that knew the Bible like John Rice. I never knew a man that knew as much, many facts about most any subject as John Rice. He could quote, uh, he could quote uh, Shakespeare. Uh, just, just like he quotes the Bible. Uh, now all the Shakespeare I know is Mary had a little lamb, fleece as white as snow. But, uh, but, but Dr. Rice, uh, brilliant man. And people would come and see his brilliance, and they wanted to learn what he knew. Not a great leader, but he happened to know something the other folks wanted to know. Take Lester Roloff. Not a, not a kind of person that you'd think would be a leader. He's not the product of these, uh, these uh, uh, orientation courses about how to be successful. There was a course in leadership in his life. Well, why did folks follow Lester Roloff? I said they followed Dr. Rice because he knew something other folks wanted to know. They followed Lester Roloff because he knew somebody that other folks wanted to know better. He walked with God. It was obvious he walked with God. And folks wanted to know the God he knew, and they wanted to know how he knew him so well. And so this man who was not by nature what you'd call a leader at all, had followers because they're trying to find out how to know so well whom he knew so well. How about Lee Robertson? Lee Robertson, not a, probably not a natural leader, at least you wouldn't think so personally. Well, how did, he be, how did he become a leader? He did something that other people wanted to learn how to do. And they followed him. He built that great church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, Running three and four and five and six thousand people every Sunday, and uh, and that's back in the days you didn't have churches that day much, and uh, built I guess what was one of the three or four largest Sunday schools in the world, and uh, people saw what he did. So uh, he was not a leader because he was what we would call a leader. He did something that other folks wanted to learn to do, and Roloff knew somebody that other folks wanted to know better, and Dr. Rice knew some things that folks wanted to learn. Now then, here's what they did. Hear me carefully. Hear me carefully. They led softly. They led softly. Some things about real leaders. Hear me. Number one, they do not want to lead. A man who wants to lead is not a good leader. They do not want to lead. I'll be quite frank with you. I don't like leadership. I don't like to boss anybody. If I scold anybody, I go to my office and cry for 30 minutes. I don't like to lead. Uh, they don't want to lead. Number two, they don't plan to lead. Real leaders, real leaders don't plan to be leaders someday. They, number three, they are great followers. 
Would you like to know how General Douglas MacArthur, one of my heroes, by the way, and the man that should have been in the White House instead of a lot of other fellows, anybody should be instead of the one we got now. I mean, Garfield or... Um, but uh, but uh, Douglas MacArthur, you know where he was trained to be a leader? At West Point. You know how they train you at West Point to be a leader? Make your followers. You don't become a leader by learning to be a leader. You come a, become a leader by learning to be a follower. Some things about real leaders. One, they do not want to lead. Two, they do not plan to lead. Three, they're, they're great followers. Four, they are diligent in their work. Not concerned about promotion, concerned about getting the job done today. Number five, they are not forceful leaders. Forceful people do not make good leaders because you don't lead by force. And number six and last, uh, this is not the last part of the sermon, so don't put, don't put your shoes on yet, ladies. Leadership comes to them. Leadership comes to them. Brothers, you better listen to me now. You're having trouble with your children. You better listen to me. Dad, you're having trouble with your kids. Big old six foot five inch fellows come in with 240 pounds. Look like they play linebacker of the Chicago Bears. Little old daughter here weighs about 40 pounds. I can't do a thing with her. You can if you'll do what I say this morning. Leadership comes to them. Let me illustrate. Gideon never trained to be a leader. Gideon was busy threshing wheat behind the wine press when the angel of the Lord surprised him and said, All hail, thou mighty man of valor. Gideon, as I've said before, was the runt kid of the runt family, of the runt tribe, of the runt nation of the world. He was an introvert. He was a roll-off, if you please. A John Rice, if you please. All of a sudden, the angel of the Lord came and said to him, all hail, thy mighty man of valor. Check the next three words that Gideon said. Oh, my Lord. Oh, my Lord. He was surprised. Uh, uh, take Moses. Moses was on the back side of the desert taking care of some of sheep, doing his job. Not one thought of being a leader. All of a sudden, he saw a bush that was burning and wasn't consumed. And God surprised him and called him to lead the Israelites. Take, for example... A Jeremiah. God came to Jeremiah and said, I want you to be a prophet. And Jeremiah said, but I'm just a child. I'm just a child. Moses said, I can't do it because I'm a poor speech. I'm, I'm tongue-tied to have a hair lip or cleft palate, but I can't speak. And uh, I can't do it. Jeremiah. Joshua. David. David was a, he was such an unlikely leader that he was not even recommended by his own father. All his brothers were called forth to be anointed as, potentially as king, but David wasn't even there. I'm trying to tell you, you great generals of the future, you're not going to amount to very much. These Howells Anderson College fellows that come through and try to lead forcefully, they're not going to amount to much, but those that come and obey the rule and work hard and study hard and get people saved, that's the fellows that change the, the world. I'll be speaking tomorrow night and Tuesday morning, Tuesday night, God willing, for Kevin Wynn, Mexico City. Kevin Wynn has built the largest church in the, in the largest Baptist church in the country of Mexico. He used to sit over here on this front row, this little love seat over here with this.
couples uh, holding hands and necking all the time over here. And uh, but uh, they used to like that. And Kevin Wynn, if you'd have said the least likely person to build a great church on a mission field, I said Kevin Wynn. The guy was, pardon my expression, but he was sort of ugly. And he got one of the cutest little girls in our college, and I said to myself, she must be blind. Either that, she's taking him on as a mission project, one or the other. But there's something I didn't know about Kevin when a man told me just a few weeks ago. He said, I remember when I was in college, I used to drive back that road behind the campus back there. He said, I'd drive back there in the wee hours of the morning. I'd hear somebody praying. It was Kevin Wynn. Kevin Wynn was not the second coming of John the Baptist. He wasn't the second coming of General Eisenhower. He was not trying to be a leader. He was a follower. He was praying. He was working a bus route. And now then, he pastors the largest Baptist church in all of Mexico. Same is true about our good brother in the Philippines, Brother Martin, Rick Martin. little short drink of water, weighs about 30 pounds. About three foot eleven tall, seems like. Went over to the Philippine Islands. No, he wasn't the kind of guy that said to college, I'm someday going to be a leader. No, sir. He said, I am today going to be a worker and a follower. You go to that thing in the Philippine Islands, you'll see three, four, five thousand people on Sunday morning and Sunday night. I speak over there. I've spoken twice over there. And morning and night. Also, we must have had three or four thousand people on weeknight in that great church over there in a college with five hundred students and nice dormitories. Why? Why? Because he said, I'm going to be a leader? No, sir. He said, what I'm doing now, I'm going to give it my best. Jephthah won't go into it the same way. They, they conscripted him. And made him come and be a leader. Billy Sunday. You probably don't know this story. Billy Sunday was a tent man for evangelist J. Wilbur Chapman. J. Wilbur Chapman was a successful, well-known evangelist. Billy Sunday set up his tent, set up his pews, fixed the platform, and got ready. When J. Wilbur Chapman decided to leave evangelism and go into the pastorate, Ma Sunday told me this. She said he came to Billy Sunday and said, I want you to take this tent. I want you to become the evangelist, take my place. And Billy Sunday, Ma said, Billy Sunday said that I can't just have one sermon. He said, preach it every night. <laughs> Billy Sunday was shocked. Now you listen to me, you fellows that are going to be the next worldwide evangelist. What you better do is you better be the next Chicago-wide bus captain. God's not looking for people looking for leadership. God's looking for people that can feel the heart of the follower. Dr. John Rice. When Dr. Rice started out, he was a song leader. By the way, that's where I got my start. Uh, also, I got my finish there, too. He was a song leader for an evangelist, a country evangelist. Dr. Rice would leave the singing. He said, and they had great meetings. He said one time they were in a meeting. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. He said one time they were meeting together. And he said, um, uh, it came to the closing night. And the evangelist said, Brother Rice, this thing is going. 
we can't close this meeting down. Dr. I said, well, I said, that's right. And so, so the evangelist said, let's go on for another week. And Dr. I said, boy, I'm for that. And the evangelist said, but I've got a meeting to start tomorrow night. So you preach tomorrow night and the next week. And Dr. Rice said, I don't have any sermons. He said, I'll give you some. Dr. Rice borrowed some Hey, this is the great John Rice, one of the three great leaders of our generation, fundamentalism. He borrowed some sermons from his pastor. He was shocked to death that he was going to preach in the place of the evangelist. I'm trying to say, ladies and gentlemen, leadership comes to leaders. They don't come to it. This man right here. I promise you, if we'd have had a vote, how long have you been? 23 years? 24 years. 25 years ago, if we'd have had a vote as the least likely person in this church to be on the staff, Roy Moffat would have won hands down. He still would. But he would have won hands down. This man simply decided he was going to, whatever his hand found to do, He'd do it with all his might. Now then, heads up our A-bus ministry and so many other things here at our church. I think of Ray Young. Ray Young came to me at Howells Anderson College one day, as I've told you many times, and looked at me and said, Brother Howells, do you think God could ever use me? And I lied and said yes. I never saw such a timid, shy fellow in my life. He was hired to clean the buses and, and sweep out the buses. And, that, and he did, did a great job of sweeping out the buses. And now he has, I think, nine secretaries that work for him around here. He doesn't do anything, but he's got a bunch of good secretaries. Now, you listen to me. Let, me. let me go outside the fundamental realm. The greatest leader India has ever had was Mahatma Gandhi. Mahatma Gandhi was a little bitty guy, like a chief sitting bull, had no charisma whatsoever. Then you go to the Catholic Church. Mother Teresa, <laughs> she dead sure didn't look like a leader to me. And yet, how did she become a leader? By helping people. I'm not a Catholic. Couldn't be, won't be. And, but, but I'm simply trying to say today that real leaders do not want to lead, do not plan to lead. They're great followers. They're diligent in their work. They're not forceful leaders. Leadership comes to them. They're not asked. For 38 years and five months, I've been pastor of First Baptist Church, Hammond, Indiana. Now, if you ask people to hear me preach, they'll say, Boy, Howells is a strong leader. No, I lead softly. Ask me on the platform. I lead softly. I seldom say, This is the way it's going to be. With the Jeff, you're at staff meetings again and again. With the Colston, you're out beside me at the staff meeting every time we have one. You haven't heard me say many times, if any, this is the way it's going to be. I lead softly. I've never fired a deacon. I've fired Adam, but I've never fired a deacon. We have, I think right now, 93 men or so on our board. All these 38 years and five months, I've had one deacon one time I found out was smoking cigarettes. You didn't find? Let me tell you how I handled it. I sat down with him and I said, I won't call his name, of course. I said, Brother Broadway, oh my soul, I forgot. 
I sat down in my office, and I, I said, I'll call him Brother Jones. Brother Jones, uh, I'm not saying this is true, but somebody told me that on the corner of Douglas Street and Holman Avenue, they saw you smoking a cigarette. I'm not saying it's true. In fact, I won't believe it until you tell me it is. He bowed his head, and he said, Preacher, I've, I've really, I gave up my cigarettes when I became a deacon, and I've tried so hard, but he said, I'm losing the battle. And I said, I'd ask you a question. Is there anything about my life that you'd like to suggest that I change where I've disappointed you in any way? I'd like to know. He said, no, preacher. I can't think of any other thing. I said, then would you let me say the same thing to you? He said, yes, I would. And I said, you tell me what you think. If you're in my shoes, what do you think a deacon ought to do this smoking? And he said, quit. But I can't. I said, then what do you think? And he said, I think I should not be a deacon. And I said, I want you to know I love you as much as I did before I heard about this cigarette. I want you to know I'm honored to be your pastor. And I hope that they'll come and you can back on the deacon board again. He jumped up from that uh, chair in my office and hugged me. And we were just as close as we could be. And I started smoking. You get close to that stuff, boy. It smells good, you know. Now, I'm saying this. I was leading softly. We had one, one other time, a deacon was doing, committing some awful, awful sins. And uh, I called him in my office, and I said, I want you to know I love you with all my heart. And nothing you can say to me will sever my love for you or, or, or cause my love to be, to be, to be dampened in the least. But I said, is this true? And he said, yes, it is. And I said, what do you think we ought to do about it? And he said, preacher, I ought to resign. Now, I'm trying to say this. I seldom say this is the way it's going to be. I never have fired a deacon. I seldom make a decision alone. If my leadership appears not wanted, I back off. I don't like to lead anyway, so if you don't want me to lead, I just, I'll back off. Never dawned on you. That the commands in the Bible about a husband and wife do not start with husbands, boss your wives. It says, wives, submit yourself to your husband. And if your wife will not submit herself to you, you may not have earned the right, and you have no right, no command in the Bible, to force your leadership on your wife. The commands are always first to the followers. Children, obey your parents. That comes before uh, what, uh, advising the parents. Uh, uh, servants, obey your masters. That comes before masters treat your servants properly. I've never fired a staff member. I've never fired a member of the First Baptist Church staff. See this man right here? One of the best men I ever met, Bob O'Claire. I trust him with all the money I've got, up to $50. Bob O'Claire was working in a place that wasn't working out. Did I ask him to resign? No, sir. I moved him to a place where it did work out. A lady right here in the court, she's not here this morning. I fired her yesterday. Uh, Martha Gilbert. Martha Gilbert was working in our, uh, our ministry here, one of our over 500 employees, and she's working, and it wasn't working out. So I called Martha in, and I said, Martha, I'd like to put you somewhere else. I, I let her help me decide where. 
and we put her somewhere else. And now she's a very valuable, happy employee. Terry Shipman was teaching at one of our schools. What wasn't working out. I hired Terry. She's your secretary, isn't she? And a very valuable secretary. And I, I, the same thing, uh, Larry Staub. Is he up here? Larry, uh, been with us now for years. And uh, uh, I, when, what wasn't working out, I put him at the college teaching. Now he's been teaching at the college these years, doing a fine job. Well, why don't you fire him? I love that fellow. That's why. I love his family. That's why. I love that fellow. I love my staff members. I'm trying to say, ladies and gentlemen, the general of the army is not what you're going to be. And by the way, the men that won World War II for us were not the fellows that were trained in officers' candidate school. There are fellows that are on a battlefield. The, the guy that was trained in officers' candidate school was shot from the rear by his own troops. And, and the guy who was a follower, who had done a good job of fighting, the troops said, you take over, and that's the crowd that won the war, those who lead softly. There are many pastor schools across the country, but there's only one original. The concept, there's pastor school in Longview, there's a pastor school in... Santa Clara, there's a pastor school in Jacksonville, there's a pastor school in Phoenix, there's a pastor school in, in, uh, or other places, uh, in, uh, uh, Keith Gomez has one, and others all across the country. But there's something different about the pastor school at First Baptist Church. So what is it? I never decided to have one. I never decided to have one. Had a preacher call me and write me and say, I'd like to come to your church and learn from your staff. He came, he learned, went home, built a great church. Another preacher did the same thing. And all of a sudden we had preachers coming out of our ears. I said, let's get together one week and teach all of these fellas. And that's what started the great pastor school that you'll see this March again. This building packed and jammed, chairs down every aisle, chairs across this altar, people standing in the back. And the greatest pastor school, why? Why is it great? Because I never decided to have one. I never sat down one day and said, I'd like to be a leader. I sat down one day and said, we've got these preachers coming. I've got to get them out of my hair. Now, you listen to me. Don't you bristle. You listen to me carefully. Leaders, true leaders, lead softly. Many colleges are springing up all over the country. Everybody's got one. or 16 in Hammond, I imagine. They're all over. I'm not against that. Told our college of the day, I'm forever a fundamental independent King James Bible, separated salvation by grace, hellfire and brimstone, old-time religion college that can spring up anywhere in America. But there's something different about Howells Anderson College. May I tell you what it is? I never decided to start one. I never planned to start a college. Never decided to start a college. So one night an all-night prayer meeting in, in Southern California... God spoke to me like he's never spoken to me in my life and said, you're supposed to start a college. I, I don't want to start a college. He said, you're supposed to start a college. I'm trying to say, ladies and gentlemen, that, that the difference in our this church, I never planned to build a great church. I came up here to work my head off and uh, and do the job I, I get about as saved as I could. Somebody said, do you, you ever think you have 20,000 in Sunday school? No. Ten? No. Five? No. Two? No. Didn't come didn't come to have 10,000 Sunday school. I came to work as hard as I could to reach everybody in Chicago I could and help everybody I can. And God raised up this great church here. We had a vote in 1960 whether I stay or leave. But that wasn't my vote. 
My vote was, if you want me, vote for me. Both, I, I, I'm here to lead. If I can or can't, you decide. But I'm not going to fight for the right to be leader of this church. In fact, I won't fight for the right to lead anything. It was the people voted to let me, not because I was wanting to lead. I did not care. Truth is, I wanted to go back to Texas. You ever been there? You ever been to Texas? Well, then you know why I wanted to go back to Texas. Now apply this to your place of leadership. Listen to me. Staff, your leaders lead softly. Grade school administrators and staff and teachers, real leaders lead softly. People say, when they come to work for me, I didn't think you'd be like this. Well, I thought you'd be the hardiest person to work for in the world. And the truth is, I am the most wonderful boss in the world today. Thank both of you. But I, 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 uh, I, I lead softly. I preach hardly. <laughs> hardly preach, but I, I, I preach hard, but I lead softly. Junior high, high school, city badness, college, husband, father, employer. Jacob said, I will lead softly. Several bits of advice, I'll be through. Speak softly. Please listen now carefully. Speak softly. Speak softly. I'm your leader! That sounds like Martin Luther King, Jr. His birthday we'll forget to celebrate tomorrow. Speak softly. I love what that Scotchman said. I would not hurt thee. I would do thee no ill. I would not lift up my hand to harm thee. But thou art standing while I'm about to shoot. I like that. I like that. Speak softly. Scold softly. Parents, you grab that child and shake him and scream at him. You're never going. He's not going to be a good follower, and you're not going to have a good relationship with that child. Scold softly. Decide softly. Make your decision softly. Lead softly. And then punish softly. Teenager came, uh, came to my office. Teenager was in trouble, been expelled from our school. Done terrible things. His parents brought the teenager to my office and said, Well, the house, we, he's, he, we can't handle him. We don't know what to do with him. And I said, Would you mind going out in the waiting room? I'd like to talk to your son. He sat across from me, bitter look on his face, grimacing. And I said, son, tell me your side of the story. He said, what? I said, tell me your side of the story. Big old tears came reflecting down his cheeks. And he said, nobody's asked me that yet. Nobody's asked me that yet. I said, tell me your side of the story. I say this almost always to teenagers, and they're shocked. He told me his side of the story. Now, the truth is, he was still guilty. But I said, son, I'd like to, I'd like to tell you to make me proud of you. And he began to cry, and he came across around that desk and put his arms around me and said, I will. 
I will. Nobody's supposed to listen to me. That young man's a deacon in this church today. I said he's a deacon in this church. He could have been lost forever if I'd have said, What in the world is No, lead softly. Lead softly. Even a criminal deserves a dignified trial. A judge should treat courteously the people. We have a judge here, this judge, Judge Clement, and a judge this here for years, here this morning. Judge is a gentleman. He leads softly. When our children became teenagers, I sat them down on their 13th birthday, each one of them, and I said, now I will tell you something. You're a teenager now. If you ever decide that you can't obey the rules here, I want to tell you that you may feel free to leave any time you want to. But as long as you eat the food that I provide and this house prepares, and you live in a house where I pay the, I take care of it and provide it for you, and you wear clothes that I provide for you, then you are enjoying the privileges of being a child. But any time you decide not to obey the rules that I think are best for you, I will not kick you out. I will simply say you may leave. I'll help you pack. I'll kiss you goodbye and invite you over for Thanksgiving and Christmas, and I'll enjoy you. You'll be just like an adult. Because if you're 13 or 14 years old and you choose to live like an adult, I'll let you live like an adult. I said, now that's up to you. But I said, I never will grab you and shake you and say, and you ask that little girl back there, I've never grabbed her in her life and shaken her. Uh, and yet she, is, she and I have been buddies all these years. Why? I led softly. It's an old story. I've used it probably more than any others, but I'll close with it. She had a date. Cindy had a date. It's on Saturday. I think this, I know this probably home, I think three o'clock. Maybe, maybe in four, but four, she promised she'd be home by three. Now, our house, but three meant three. Three didn't mean 301, 302, or three plus one second. It meant three. To this day. When I, if this house expects me home at a certain time, I'm there. I'm there. The other day I got behind an accident. I got home two minutes late. I called her on the phone and said, I'll be two minutes late. I expected Cindy to be home at three. She called. She she called and and we're not in the house. I think we're out in the yard. This house was more in the yard, and I was administrating it. And uh, Cindy would call because the other cup, the other kids, they wanted to they wanted to eat out before they came in. She was going to ask us if she could stay another hour. We weren't available. The simple truth is that she decided to stay out an extra hour. She came home. She expected me to... Where in the world have you been? No, she didn't expect that either. She knew better. But that's what you'd have said. You said you'd be home by 3 o'clock. No, you lead softly. And I said, uh, did you have a good time? Yeah. I never wanted Cindy to come home a good time and come home to a bad time and compare me to the guy she was out with. I didn't worry about that when it was Scott because no comparison. 
But she's dated some good guys, too, through the years. But uh, but uh, I said, tell me what, what kind of time you had. Okay. I didn't say one word. That was on Saturday afternoon. I said nothing Saturday night. I said nothing Sunday. I said nothing Monday. I said nothing Tuesday. I said nothing Wednesday. But Cindy always waited after the after the service and rode home with me. She'd stay in the waiting room till I got through counseling, and she'd wait, always wait, and she'd ride home with me. Riding home that night, we're on Calumet Street, coming up to 165th. I said, Puddin', if you had a child or a daughter, that daughter came home an hour after she said she'd come home. What would you do to her? And Cindy said, oh, Dad, I know. I know. Well, I'm not asking. I'm asking for advice. I'm not a very good, very smart. I need some advice. What would you do? She said, I'd ground her for two weeks. I said, boy, you're rougher than I am. I'm just a one-week man myself. And she put her head on my shoulder. She began to cry. She said, Dad, I love you. Seemed like you always knew exactly how to do it. I led softly. I led softly. Hey, you big blabbermouth leaders, lead softly. Husbands, lead softly. Fathers, mothers, lead softly. Future preachers. Oh, boy, you go out. You take a new church out yonder. Some of our guys go out there and take a new church. And the first Sunday, they preach on women wearing riches and men having long hair and boys wearing earrings. Everything they know. And they get voted out. And, boy, they think they got voted out for being an Elijah. They got voted out for being a moron. Lead softly. Lead softly. There are ladies in this room this morning who wear pants in public. I don't think they should, but they do, but they're still members of our church. There are men in this room whose hair is longer than I think it ought to be, but I still love them, and they're still members of this church, and I'm proud to be their pastor. I do all I can to try to make lead folks to dress right and act right and talk right and sing right, but I'm not going to walk up and be your commanding general. Jacob said, I'll go on ahead. And I'll lead softly. I'll lead softly. So calm down, leaders. Just settle down. Calm down. When you spank your child, you don't have to scream at him. Just lead softly. Would you bow your heads, please?